Fantastic day. Anytime you hear that song, it's a fantastic day. That true is story. true. That is true. It's always the worst part of my day is having to hit stop so we can start talking. Like, <laughs> not do that. Yeah, we should just have an hour of old Sawmill Creek. Um, I do sure. have my hour. It's just not during this time. I, I have my hour of podcast and then I have my hour of Sawmill Creek solo <laughs> or, or two or three. I like that. I need to do something like that when I'm in the shower or something. <laughs> well, I, I have some, some, I, I guess, good news. It, it is good news. Um, it's although it's not really the, I mean, I'll let you judge how, how important it is for you, but we did get some, some donations in. So yay. Congratulations. All and right. You, We're we legit. are now more successful as a podcast than my entire tenure as a backyard barbecue specialist. <laughs> and if you do not know what that is, shame on you. Go back and listen from the beginning. Yeah. Episode two, was it? I believe it wasn't it? it? It was early on. I I don't recall which one, but it was one of the one of the early ones where we were still getting our fine um, craft um, put together. Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, we did not start out this sharp and precise, not as well oiled as the machine that you now know currently is. So, some opinions may differ. <laughs> Well, that's great. Yes. Uh, thank you so much to our listeners who have. <laughs> I just saw the. <laughs> what is that called at the bottom? The the banner? The roll. Yeah, the banner at the bottom. The rolling banner. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Anyway, before, before I saw that, I was just saying thank you to our donors. Uh, very, very thoughtful of you. Um, it's nice to have listeners. It's nice to have listeners who support us. So. Thank you so much. Yeah, very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, shall we uh, jump into it? I know we have yeah. a lot to talk about. We do. We do have a lot to cover. This is a fun episode uh, that I'm looking forward to going over with you. Um, but first, uh, we did have some questions from our last episode that uh, came from you, Tyler, specifically. Um, that we that I wasn't able to answer. So I've done some digging and found something that hopefully uh, helps you sleep better at night. I know that you've been tossing and turning these last few days, wondering what the answers would be to those questions. So uh, the first question that you asked was, did Joseph threaten anyone with destruction if they were to see the plates? Is that right? Is that the question yeah. you had? Yes. So this is something, What? well, why don't you tell us a little bit about this question, why you had it? I, it so I, I mean, I, I don't know where I heard it from or if I even heard that. Um, I have 
and I know that I've heard several different instances um, that can be found in Doctrine and Covenants and other other very very reliable sources of Joseph Smith. Um, well, I say Joseph Smith as 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 um, the historical perspective as the person who would have said it. Um, at times he's or maybe always he's speaking um, in the voice of God, but um, the the reason that comes up is just um, it, is that often when there's something that that he that God really does not want somebody to do, such as look at the gold plates. Um, well, I don't know if gold plates is one of them. That's why I asked the question for this. But others, um, in <laughs> Doctrine and Covenants specifically with polygamy, it comes up. Um, he threatens that that if they do not comply, they will be destroyed or either Joseph Smith or the person who doesn't comply will be destroyed. So that was kind of in the back of my mind when I asked the question. I don't know. I, I don't recall specifically if the plates had anything to do with it or not, though. So maybe you can share with us what you found. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I looked specifically at the gold plates to see if there were any instances of anyone being threatened. And there are a few sources, but uh, none are very legitimate. Most of them come from um, antagonistic sources, characters. Uh, one says that Joseph was, um, the whole gold plates thing was a joke. And as part of that joke, Joseph said, well, if you look at these plates, you'll be destroyed. You know, that's kind of the, the tone I sort of... Uh, interpreted with my own um uh biases and my own perspective but essentially mm -hmm. this man this this character said that he was in the room when joseph entered uh carrying a pillowcase and i believe he came in to a room his whole family was there and he said i have the plates but if you look at them you'll be destroyed do you want me to show them to you and and everyone said no 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 don't show us you know uh, for obvious reasons they believed him and they didn't want to to be destroyed and uh then he told joseph told this man that um that he was actually joking there were no plates he was just playing a practical joke and there are some theories uh, the there is a broader narration there that uh some uh uh you know scholars I don't even know if they're scholars, but some people who have studied Mormon history have put out that Joseph was indeed just playing a joke and the joke kind of got away from him. And so he just ran with it. Uh, so there is that. Uh, another. Can I ask a question? Oh, yeah, go ahead. You started, you started off by saying that these are not very legitimate. Can you kind of explain what you say? When, when I think legitimacy, I think contemporary. Do they have an agenda? That might step um, that might create some bias. Um, was it firsthand? When, when you say it's not legitimate, why why would you consider these sources not legitimate? Yeah, so that's a great question, and and uh, you do have to be careful. I I have to be careful with saying claiming legitimacy on sources, whether they're legitimate or not. Uh, so this source this particular source comes from an, someone who was antagonistic towards the smiths didn't uh think very much of him and it was put into a publication that uh, was meant to um that that served a specific agenda 
had a specific objective to uh, destroy the Joseph Smith Mormon movement at the time. Uh, and and so, yeah, it's it's possible that that this actually happened, that somebody saw this or experienced it. But when it's put into uh, a tract in such a way where it's the uh, the obvious agenda of this tract is to bring down a movement, then then that does kind of raise some red flags um, there. And, and like any rumor or or story, secondhand story. A lot of the times it's it comes from a grain of truth, right? That and so that's why it's hard to debunk. Um, conspiracy theories work this way. You just find something that has just a speck of truth to it, and you can run with it, and that's why they're so hard to to disprove. So okay. again, Thank you. It, yeah, it is hard to claim that it's not legitimate, but at the same time, as a, I think most historians would say would be very careful with it. I'll put it that way. Gotcha. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, another source comes from Charles Anthon, who we'll get into a little bit more later on. But uh, Charles Anthon claimed that when Martin Harris brought the characters that were found on the gold plates to him to examine, uh, he told Harris that he should have these plates officially examined, have like some sort of government authority uh, go look at them. And Harris said he would be destroyed if he were to do that. Harris himself would be destroyed. Was this Athens first or second telling of? Uh, I, it may not matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I, I from what I understand, those first. are a little bit, what I understand, those are somewhat different accounts of what happened. Yes. Yeah. I believe it was the first. Okay. And uh, then there was another anti-Mormon, uh, who said that Joseph said that no one could look upon the plates except his own firstborn son. Um, that one is a little bit fishy as well, because Joseph had a, a, a pretty, pretty clear record of saying that someone, you know, there would be three witnesses eventually, or the righteous would see the plates at some point, you know, so, so that one's a little fishy as well. Uh, but on the on the flip side, you never had any of the Smiths, uh, never had Emma, Oliver Cowdery, none of the the people who are close to Smith who are in his inner circle. None of them. There's no there's no source of them claiming that they were they would be destroyed if they were to um, to see the plates. No firsthand record of them saying that. Gotcha. Cool. So, for, for the for the dozen or so people who are crazy enough to see our faces, are you playing a two face type role where you just want to show half of your face today? Oh, your sorry. Camera, your, your, your camera is showing a great room, but we're missing we're missing half of you. Oh, there we go. Is that better? Sorry, I was I, 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 I was. I don't I don't know why people choose camera. to watch rather than listen, but I want to make sure they get the full experience <laughs> for making why for no for tuning in on YouTube. I totally understand why someone would want to watch. I mean, look at us. We're both very, you know, pleasing to the eye and attractive males. We're of age. Why wouldn't you want to watch? <laughs> I wouldn't want to watch. All right, moving on. 
the second question you had was, did Joseph take anyone else to see where the plates were buried? Do you want to give some context to that one? Or was this just something you heard? Yeah. So, well, actually, this one, since we talked, I, I looked it up again to figure out a little more about it. Um, and and sure enough, I found something. Again, it was a um, an antagonistic source, but it was the same two people we were talking about last week. So I found it very interesting that um, that if anybody would know about it, it would be the ones who are closely involved and the ones we'd be talking about. So it does make sense that those people would would have something to say. I don't know if you want me to give away the ending, but that's that's what I found. Yeah, sure. Take it away. I'll, I'll have to change my name to Professor Jones. <laughs> yeah. So, John, let me teach you a little bit of something about Willard Chase. How about that? Have you heard of him? Please. I think so, yeah. Okay. Was, yeah, someone brought him up in the last few episodes. Okay. So, Willard Chase was... Uh, I call him a, a somewhat longtime acquaintance of Joseph Smith in, in upstate New York, the Palmyra area, around 1810s, 1820s. And for whatever reason, they seem to kind of have a falling out. Um, I, I don't know the history of what happened, but uh, Willard Chase seems to have publicly come out um, against Joseph Smith and his, what you call the Mormon movement. Um, and so... In this aftermath, he came up with, oh, as part as such, he also brought in a man named Samuel T. Lawrence to help um, to help kind of debunk Joseph Smith's claims. And jo Samuel T. Lawrence had some apparent um, gifts or abilities to. Um, See, see treasure and work work the work in the magical realm and so willard chase brought samuel t lawrence and and others from the area to kind of uh debunk joseph smith's well one of two things either debunk joseph smith or find the gold plates and take them and keep them for the treasure the gold that they are i'm not exactly sure what, what their motive was i'm guessing at the beginning it was to get rich off the plates and then as as they um, did not get the plates, they kind of shifted, pivoted to kind of smear Joseph Smith's and, and, and his, and his new, new church. Anyway, so let me tell you what, what Willard Chase said about an experience Samuel T. Lawrence had with Joseph Smith. Is this a quote out of, out of Mormonism unveiled, John? It is. Here, yes. This is, I'm the professor, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, you tell me. <laughs> yeah, John John pulls up the sources. Thank you, assistant. Um, so here's a quote out of Mormonism Unveiled. It says, Joseph believed that one Samuel T. Lawrence was the man alluded to by the Spirit and went with him to a singular-looking hill in Manchester and shooed him where the treasure was. Lawrence asked him if he had ever discovered anything with the plates of gold. He said no. He then asked him to look in his stone to see if there was anything with them. He looked and said there was nothing. He told them to look again and see if there was not a larger pair of specks with the plates. He looked and soon saw a pair of spectacles, the same with which Joseph says he translated the Book of Mormon. 
So th this is the account, and I believe it's from what I saw, and I didn't spend much time looking, but um, <laughs> maybe the only account, <laughs> the only account I saw, what if I put it that way, is the only account <laughs> about this, this occurrence happening between Lawrence and, and Joseph Smith. But it is out there, at least, and I think it's worth not discrediting, um, putting saying that mm -hmm. it exists. It's um, from sources that I believe would be somewhat close to the situation, however, they are on more of the antagonistic side. So, yeah, great. Um, a little note about that. So, Mormonism unveiled. I think we should do an episode on it further down the line. But the reason why I think it's important is because not so much because of what it says about Mormonism and Joseph Smith, but because of what people thought about Joseph Smith and Mormonism. And and so, yeah, it's it's anti stuff and and whatever. And, and you can take it however you want. Um, but it is important to look into just because of of that fact. It, it does show us what people were thinking and saying about Mormonism who are outside of the movement. So for that reason, historically, it's it's important. Awesome. Well, thanks for looking that up and uh, sharing it. Yeah, my pleasure. And to our listeners out there, please keep the questions coming. Um, I don't. Are, you can post them on our Instagram. I don't know. Are they able to post them on our website, Tyler? Um, if just submit. So our email address with the stone rolling at gmail.com is on our website. That's. Um, you can find that link on our website, but there's not a submit button on the website. Okay. Yeah. Email's fine. Uh, we check that every so often. So yeah, please keep the questions coming. All right. So with today's episode, um, I thought it would be interesting to look into the context around the, the world that the Book of Mormon came into. And by that, I mean the Book of Mormon claims to be a history of the Native Americans who came from uh, Jerusalem or, or at least a, uh, a branch of uh, people living in Jerusalem who came to the New World. And so I thought it would be interesting to see what people in Joseph Smith's world were saying about Native Americans at the time and where Native Americans came from. Can I ask... I was yes. kind of expecting coming into this that we were going to talk about maybe translating the Book of Mormon, seeing as he just got them. Is this something that's before the translation, or are we going to skip the translation? What What's your thought process as to going into this at this juncture? Yeah, so uh, it goes back to kind of what we were trying to do with this podcast, um, which is really hard to do, by the way. But what we were trying to do was take it not not in a narrative chrono chronology, but in a source chronology, like go from the first sources that came to and, and telling the story that way. So that's one reason why we haven't looked into Lucy Mack Smith's uh, narrative of Joseph Smith. We haven't looked at the first visions yet, all that sort of stuff. And it's because we wanted to originally focus on the sources as they come. And so the source for this one was actually the, uh, what is called the Anthon manuscript that Martin Harris took to Charles Anthon to examine uh, after the uh, after Joseph and Emma wrote down some of the uh, the characters that they found on the gold plates. 
So does that make sense? Yeah, so this is the same Anthony that came up talking about um, being Martin Harris told him that he, Martin Harris, would be destroyed if he were to show Anthony the plates. The scholar, e Egyptian scholar, scholar of Egyptian? Yeah, right. yeah, he was, a, I think the, the term they would have used was a classicist. Okay. If that makes sense something that I would understand. He was a, he was a professor who knew ancient, um, ancient writings more than Correct. most, more than most at least. But this was Correct. prior to um, them having the um, stone, the Rosetta stone. And so in this area, nobody, nobody could read Egyptian yet. However, he was still an expert in the prior to reading Egyptian era. Yeah, is so that, 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 is that true? Almost, yeah. So the Rosetta okay. Stone was discovered in the 1790s. So there was a lot of work going on to understand Egyptian hieroglyphics. But you're right in the fact that uh, it wasn't really a developed science in the new in, in America yet. There there was no Egyptologist as we know it now. Um, there were definitely people who could read, not read, but see uh hieroglyphics and know that they were hieroglyphics they would be recognizable but there wasn't you know information didn't spread as quickly as it does today and so uh work on the rosetta stone was still ongoing people were figuring it out and it was being um what's the word sort of and dispersed yeah it, it was yeah so uh, translations were being dispersed around around the world but anthony oh. Yeah, Anthon would not have been a guy who could just look at hieroglyphics and understand them. Uh, but he did know Latin, Greek, um, lots of other different uh, classical, as, as they would call them at the time. Nowadays, classical literature refers mostly to Latin and Greek, but back then it would have related to uh, all kinds of ancient languages. Okay. I'm interested. I never would have put anthem together with native americans so i'm interested to see where this goes <laughs> yeah so all right so let's jump into it um in the summer of 1832 and i know i'm jumping ahead now but joseph smith wrote in his personal history that the lord appeared unto harris unto him in a vision and showed unto him his marvelous work which he was about to do and he harris immediately came to susquehanna and said the Lord had shown him that he must go to New York City with some of the characters. So this is Joseph writing down that Martin Harris uh, had a vision that the Lord wanted him to take some of the characters that were written on the gold plates to New York City to have them examined by an expert. Now, there's all kinds of theories as to why um, and how he found Charles Anthon. Uh, but it basically comes down to the fact that there weren't that many classicists around, um, not too many experts on classical languages, uh, and Anthon worked at Columbia. And it's possible that, that Martin Harris got to New York and just started asking around. Um, there, there's, he supposedly talked to another expert whose last name was Mitchell, but we're not quite sure who that guy actually was. Um, there's not a really strong record of that uh, interaction. 
but and so it's possible that this Mitchell guy could have referred Harris to Charles Anton. So backing up a little bit, Joseph and Emma wrote down or drew some of the characters that were on the gold plates. And I have a picture here. Am I able to? You, you say Joseph and Emma. Did Emma help her write them? Did help him write the letters? So that's a good question. The source says that, and it's from Emma, she said that she helped him write or draw the characters. So my guess is he probably described it to her or maybe he wrote it down and she copied it. Um, because as we know, Emma was not allowed to look at the plates. So yeah, it's, it's interesting the language that she uses. Um, maybe she was just in a room, you know, when he was drawing them, we don't know. Okay. But let's see, let me do this here. Let me know if this works. Can you see that? Um, I'll have to share it first. Okay. Oh, don't want to see that. <laughs> there we go. Can you see that all right? I think if they squint, they can see it. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, this is a purported copy of the Anthem manuscript. And I'll pull it off now. So those who are interested, so maybe... We, can I maybe just describe can... that? Can I describe that a little bit for... Um, well, I don't know yeah. what to describe, but on the top it says characters, C-A-R-A-C-T-O-R-S. And then there's just a bunch of... I don't want to call them squiggles. That sounds disrespectful <laughs> to people who, who might who might be able to read this. Yeah. But it, it appears... Uh, I'll just have you look it up. I don't. I don't want to put too much into it. Um, yeah. But it's not what I rec It's not what I would have recognized as Egyptian hieroglyphs. If I'm looking at this, and as a non-expert, I wouldn't really know. But to me, mm -hmm. I don't see very much consistency between um, just kind of the overall style of 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 characters, but. Mm -hmm. I, I could be wrong about that. You might go into this. Um, so I would just yeah. suggest look, look it up for decide for yourself because I'm not an Egyptologist. But <laughs> it, it does. Uh, it's worth looking at, at least if you've never seen these characters before. Can they find them on Google or something like that? Oh, yeah. They just Google, yeah. If they Google maybe Anthem manuscript or something. Yep. Yep. And okay. we could we could maybe even uh, post it to our um, Instagram or something. But oh. Let's do it. Yes, I will. Yeah. I'll, I'll do. I'll take care of that. <laughs> okay. So it's so there is. I sh, I do need to explain though that this is just uh, um, what's the word? This is a possibility of what it was. There's not. This hasn't been confirmed that this was the actual manuscript and that these are the symbols. But this is just um, uh, sort of. Uh, What's the word? A tr traditional idea of what they looked like, but it has hasn't really been uh, confirmed. Where did you know where did I mean? this come from? Great question. So this is a slip of paper that comes from David Whitmer, and uh, Whitmer uh, supposedly had the paper that Harris 
uh, took to Anthon. Um, and so it comes from him. But again, we're not certain that it's that it's legit. So the Anthon described the slip or the paper that he saw that there were vertical columns and uh, that there were that these vertical columns had strange marks. Um, he said at one point that it looked like uh, uh, characters from the Mexican Zodiac. I'm not really sure what that means, as if the Mexican Zodiac is different from, you know, the European Zodiac or the Zodiac in general. But um, so to, to be it, clear with what I saw, though, these are these are horizontal rows as opposed to vertical columns, at least I'm, at the minimum, right? Yeah, yeah, I, that's what it looks like to me too. Um, it looks like they're horizontal, but again, this is Anthon, um, and it could be this could be. Um, you know, he wrote about this like six years after the fact, so it's possible he didn't remember it very well. Anyway, the, well, the point of all this... Anthony said that they were vertical. Correct, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. You're about to say the point of all this. Maybe we should get there. <laughs> the point of all this is that is to say that uh, it's not confirmed that this is the actual slip, uh, slip of paper that Anthony saw. Okay. It's just, just traditionally what it is. It's a piece of paper that some that was found, and the person who had it was was known to be the person that hold, that has a copy of the manuscript. Correct. Yeah. And so they say this this could be it because this was found in his possessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, you know, people have looked at it. Uh, experts have looked at it, and of course, they say, "Well, yeah, it doesn't look like anything that." that I'd be able to um, translate, you know, and that kind of goes along with the Mormon narrative, right? Which in the book of Mormon, Mormon specifically states that nobody else knows this language. In fact, I think he, he kind of insinuates that the Nephites and the Lamanites themselves were losing that language. Um, they were, you know, the, the, the language that Nephi used, but anyway. Okay. Well, one other thing I will say, cause I didn't know this and this is what I'm learning right now, looking at this. Is that mm -hmm. these characters aren't just a list of characters to to show, um, to show that these characters are what might be in the book? It appears that it's written down to say something, and the reason I say that is because some of them I'm noticing are repeated, um, mm. and I wouldn't think that they would be repeated in in this manner unless it was meant to kind of mean something as 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 if it's written down in a story format or in a in a sentence format at least yeah yeah good eye i think you're right so anyway take that as you will but that's kind of a traditionally what the characters look like um potentially so potentially yep so uh so harris goes to anthon at, at, in new york and uh this was in february of 1828 charles anthon as has already been explained was an expert on classical languages in fact, interesting tidbit about this guy is that Edgar Allan Poe once described him as the best classicist in America. So that was in, and, I think, the and, 1850s. And Edgar Allan Poe would know that. Yes, he. he we all know Edgar Allan Poe was big into classical uh, languages and literature, as well as ravens and, and, yeah, that sort of thing. Hearts that wouldn't yeah. stop beating. 
he does have some memorable poems i'll give him that <laughs> yeah so again uh anthon um he did know classical languages he would not have been able to translate egyptian uh but probably would have been able to to recognize the characters so then of course there's two sides to every story uh the harris account is what most i would argue most church members lds church members are familiar with he takes the manuscript to anthon anthon looks at it verifies that the characters are real and legit he says that they are egyptian a mixture of egyptian assyriac and chaldaic and uh he signs a document saying that uh, he verifies it the characters are legitimate and as harris is leaving uh anthon asks him where did the characters come from harris tells him that they're he tells him about joseph and the golden plates and uh harris then asked or i'm sorry anthon then asked harris if he could see the the verification paper that he signed harris hands it back to back to him and anthon tears it up and says bring me the plates and i will translate them and this i think is where what we talked about earlier Harris says he can't bring them because they're sealed. And, and Anthon says, I can't translate a sealed book. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of um, documents that were torn up and we still have. He must have made copies of a lot of things before showing people his, uh, what, what Joseph Smith was writing. Well, well, the thing he tore up was the verification letter that he actually wrote, that Anthony actually oh, wrote. The verification letter got torn up, not the right. actual manuscript, not the actual characters. Okay, thank you. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Good, I should have good clarification. That. Yeah. So, so that's the traditional Mormon narrative. Uh, from Anthony's side, as you pointed out earlier, he wrote down uh, what happened on two separate occasions, years apart from each other. One was in 1834 in the tract Mormonism Unveiled, and the other was in 1841. And just the the two um, distinctions that I would make between the, the two of them is that in 1834, he denies everything that Harris says. Uh, he said he looked at the characters, immediately knew that they were uh, not legitimate, and he actually tried to, to warn Harris that he was being duped. And he didn't actually give an opinion on the characters. Uh, then in the 1841 document, or his 1841 account, he said that he did write something, but it was to expose Joseph for the fraud that he was. In both instances, he claims that he tried to protect Harris from Joseph's dubious claims, from what he considered were Joseph's dubious claims. Um, but the interesting thing about it is that uh, Harris left New York City more convinced than ever that what Joseph was doing was divine and inspired. It convinced him so much to the point that he helped Joseph translate the plates and mortgaged a portion of his farm to pay for the Book of Mormon publication. So whatever happened, um, Harris came away convinced. So... Any questions on that? What does this have to do with Native Americans? Great point. <laughs> so, 
So this, I you, think, my, I think it it brings up the the question that okay, so we have these characters written on the supposed ancient record um, that claims to be a record of Native Americans, right? So what were people saying about Native Americans at the time? Did they believe that was was the narrative was the Book of Mormon narrative common? Did people were people wondering? Or did they believe that Native Americans had come from Jerusalem or uh, the old world in some capacity? Were, were they from biblical times? Were they a lost tribe? That sort of thing. So so I think the that's sort of my train of thought here is just to from these characters, these ancient characters on an ancient record that talks about the origins of an ancient people and comparing it to what contemporary people were saying does that make okay, sense so, so the question the question then is these characters are from the earliest native americans according to joseph smith um and so is that where you're linking them is if, if these are the writings of native americans then um then let's find out if there was other well, not, not only not only were these characters from Native Americans, these characters are from Native Americans that came from Jerusalem. And so you're you're trying to now describe was there a is this the first time someone came up with that idea of people coming from Jerusalem to America, or is that an existing um, concept that was thrown around in this area? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like if if imagine you're Charles Anthem. A, a farmer, a very kind, well-meaning farmer comes to you and says, hey, I found these characters, or I didn't find them. Someone gave me these characters that are written on uh, an ancient record uh, of Native Americans. What do you think? W like, what What was the percept, what was going through Anthon's head at the time? Like, what was his view of the origins of Native Americans? And this goes for everyone at that time, right? Like anyone who heard about the story of the gold plates, um, what was what was their thought of the origins of Native Americans? Would they have thought that this was plausible? Was this new, a new theory to them? That's what I want to get at in this episode. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay. So we're going to focus on mostly the New York area because that's where uh, this was all taking place. Um there was uh, there were a lot of different thoughts on where Native Americans came from, but surprisingly, it wasn't really on the top of people's minds. Um, no, there there weren't a ton of writings on where Native Americans came from, uh, especially in the New York area in the 1820s, mostly because Native Americans had basically been kicked out of the state. There were pockets of them here and there. They were certainly around. But uh, they had been basically removed. There wasn't a large presence. So Joseph Smith's family, uh, they, they would not have been fascinated with the origins of, of Native Americans, which is kind of telling. They were more fascinated with old Spanish gold uh, than they were, or, or old Spanish explorers than they were with Native Americans. Um, read into that what you will, but I think it's kind of interesting. So uh, there was a book that came out around the time that Andrew Jackson was president. Andrew Jackson, of course, made a name for himself 
by fighting Indians. And, um, and so because of his popularity, lots of, not lots, but a famous book came out that talked about uh, Native Americans, gave some context to these wars that Americans have been fighting with Native Americans at the time. And in that book, it claims that, well, it, it, it hypothesizes that Native Americans came from the old world. Um, the wordage or the verbiage they use are like wayward, a wayward Carthaginian vessel, uh, Malayans, Laplanders, uh, the Kamchatkins, you know, from, uh, from the Russia, Eastern Russia, Scythians, Israelites, Tungusi in Northern Asia, Egyptians. Um, the, the author, his name was Sanders. I can't remember his first name, but he was more towards the idea that Native Americans came across Asia from the Bering Strait, uh, either when the continents were joined or perhaps by boat. Then uh, this is kind of interesting, too. There's an 1823 article that was published in Palmyra that speculated that the first settlers of North America were probably Asiatics uh, and descendants of Shem. So there's a, another one for you. Uh, they thought that, you know, Asiatics uh, came from they, they crossed over at an early period, um, probably through the Pacific Ocean. So a lot of this went over my head, but to simplify, <laughs> are, are you saying that most of the mainstream per perception is that the Native Americans came from Asia? Yeah. Yeah, I think okay. that's fair. Mm -hmm. uh, but not, you know, they're not sure where exactly they were from. Um, not sure exactly how they got there. But yeah, I think the prevailing theory at the time was probably largely what it is now that uh they came from asia and crossed the Bering strait okay but having said that there was a a theory out there that people did adhere to which was that native americans were a lost tribe of israel and if we go back to the old testament you know there's there's the two kingdoms the northern kingdom of the uh the 10 tribes and then the southern kingdom of the uh, the tribe of judah and uh, the assyrians uh invade in the 8th century bc and from then the the 10 tribes are dispersed and they disappear okay help, help me a little bit with my ancient church history here saying that they're from the lost tribes that you mentioned earlier that uh shem shem is the son of noah like noah's ark right. shem Right. So he mm -hmm. would he would not be included in the ten tribes. Correct. So when, when you're saying they're from the lost tribes carried away from Assyrians, you're saying that they're not from this the seed of Shem, Noah's son, rather from whatever line is is more the European Jerusalem line. Right. So yeah, so there there are two different theories on the origins, right? So there's the one right. theory that says, Oh yeah, they're from Shem, Noah's son. But then this okay. theory was that they were from the ten tribes. And this this theory, the ten tribes theory, was popular among religious thinkers. Uh now the this is where a really interesting document comes into play, and it's called The View of the Hebrews. 
and it was written by a Congregationalist minister named Ethan Smith. Now, if I could just take a moment here. Last few episodes, we've been talking about Joseph Knight, and we've been getting all kinds of confused about which Joseph we're talking about. Now we're talking about Ethan Smith, and I'm sure we're going to get all kinds of confused on which Smith we're talking about. There's just not a lot of variety in names back in the day, and it's kind of frustrating in a lot of ways. But anyway, I digress. Okay, uh, John. John's not a confusing name either, so we'll just run with that. Hey, hey, man, I know when people are talking about me. That's not my problem. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so Ethan Smith is a Congregationalist minister. Uh, he was he was doing his work around a town called Pulteney, I think is what I'm pronouncing. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Pulteney, Vermont. And the interesting thing, uh, and we'll circle back to this, is that Oliver Cowdery was born in Wells, Vermont, which is right by there. But uh, anyway, this this document, this book, View of the Hebrews, was written um, as sort of a history of the the Israelites, uh, and by that I mean not just Jews, but the entire twelve tribes of Israel. And um, the first section is just it's basically just a history of Jerusalem and its fall, how it was destroyed by the Romans, that sort of thing. Um, but then later on, it gets into a hypothesis that the Native Americans are uh, part of the Ten Tribes. And in the 1840s, Mormons actually attached themselves to this document to show that, to, to sort of back up Book of Mormon claims. You know, oh, here's a document from someone who's not Mormon that's claiming that uh, the Native Americans are members of the Lost Tribes of Israel. Uh, and and it gets kind of interesting after that. It kind of, you know, goes by the wayside for a long time. But then in 1903, a, uh, a guy named I. Woodbridge Riley, who I think was a Ph.D. student at Yale, wrote a dissertation on Joseph Smith. And he speculated that Joseph Smith got some of his ideas from this document. And so, sorry, you mentioned that Oliver Cowdery was, was born next to um, Pulteney, Vermont. Mm -hmm. was, was he, would he have been in the congregation of Ethan Smith? Do we know if, do we know if there was any interaction there that, that Oliver Cowdery may be familiar with the view of the Hebrews? Or is that all left to speculation? Yeah, so a lot of people have have uh, theorized that, yes, he did know. In fact, um, Oliver Cowdery did work in a printing press at one point. And so some have connected the dots there that, okay, uh, Ethan Smith had this thing published in a printing press in Pulteney. Oliver Cowdery was probably working there at the time, so that's how he may have been exposed to this book. And then Oliver obviously comes to uh, to Harmony and, and helps Joseph with the translation. So if you, there are some people who have connected the dots to say, hey, look, Oliver Cowdery knew about this. 
then he went to Joseph and Joseph wrote a book about, you know, the origins of Native Americans. So, yeah, so th there have been people who have made that claim. Okay. But it's not founded by any documentation. It's just connecting probability. I mean, right. The, the, what, we, what we do know is he's from that area, the same area as Ethan Smith. And that we know he worked at a printing press, but we don't know any more than that to say definitively he brought this book with him or he he told Joseph Smith about it as we don't know any of that. We just know right. that there's a, a potential for that type of exposure. Exactly. Yeah, there's no yeah. record of Oliver Cowdery saying, oh, yeah, I know that book and I knew it before I met Joseph. Um, there's nothing like that. So and and you mentioned that a view of it the Hebrews is a view of the Hebrews got that right is mm -hmm. um, is talking about Native Americans coming from the ten tribes is that the only similarity or are there other um, parallels between the two books? Yeah, great question. So uh, that's sort of what people have been doing since 1903 is looking for parallels between this book. A view of the Hebrews and the Book of Mormon. Uh, the biggest similarity, of course, is that Native Americans come from the ten tribes of Israel. Uh, the big difference, however, is that a view of the Hebrews is more of an anthropological study of Native Americans. Uh, Ethan Smith pulls from lots of different sources. Uh, people have gone and done work before him. Lots of, we would call them anthropologists, people who spent time with Native Americans uh, and and wrote down their research. Whereas the Book of Mormon is a narrative, right? It's it's not an anthropological study. Um, but in in the eighteen sorry nineteen twenties, um, there was a uh, a church, an LDS church, General Authority a member of the 70 named B.H. Roberts and B.H. Roberts. I'm not sure how or why, but he became somehow became exposed to this book and claims and, and the claims that Joseph Smith uh, took from it. So he set out to do an examination, uh, put together some information and give it to church leaders, meaning the, the quorum of the 12 apostles and the first presidency. And what he comes up with are 18 similarities. And uh, don't ask me what they are because I haven't read it. I'm sorry. I didn't do the historiography on this. We could get into it later on, you know, um, because it is an important document that would influence Mormon history through the 20th century. Uh, but he comes up with 18 similarities. And uh, a lot of people have or a lot of historians kind of grabbed onto that and either agreed with it or disagreed with it or said there's more similarities, there's less similarities uh, between the two. Uh, but that's sort of when I think, in my opinion, the B.H. Roberts doing his examination, that's when the, the, the interest in the two different, the two books kind of takes off. And then the next uh, landmark event in this is when Fawn Brody, uh, uses it in her book uh, called No Man Knows My History, her biography of Joseph Smith, which was, you know, ruffled all kinds of feathers. Uh, 
you know, depending on what camp you're in, it was either really great or really bad. But uh, her book was sort of a seminal biography of, of Joseph Smith. And she claims in her book that, that Joseph Smith was inspired uh, by a view of the Hebrews. He took a lot of ideas from it and then used his imagination to write the rest of the Book of Mormon. Uh, and then it's been used, you know, in a lot of different ways since then by both uh, uh, faithful Mormon scholars to uh, anti-Mormon scholars. So, so that's sort of the, the history of it. But, um, yeah, to get into what it says, what's actually in there, uh, as I said, there's a big section on the history of Jerusalem during the time of Jesus and how it was destroyed. Um, a lot of what he focuses on are scriptures from the Old and New Testament that claim that the Ten Tribes would return. Uh, Ethan Smith seemed to be really enamored with this idea of the return of the Ten Tribes. And he sort of opens up the section with a quote. Do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? I've been I talking can read a lot. It. Okay. Sure, let me give you. I'll go ahead. So this is from View of the Hebrews. Is that what this is from? Okay. Yep. So this is out of out of view of the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. What are we to believe concerning the ten tribes? Are they ever again to be restored and known as the natural seed of Abraham? Are they now in existence as a distinct people? If so, where are they to be found? All parts of the world are now so well known that one would concede the commonwealth of Israel could not be found among the civilized nations. Must we look for them in a savage state? If so, the knowledge of their descent must be derived from a variety of broken, broken circumstantial, traditionary evidence. Who or where then are the people who furnish the greatest degree of this kind Excuse me. Who or where then are the people who furnish the greatest degree of this kind of, of evidence? I butchered it. My apologies. <laughs> That's all right. We'll we'll let it slide. But um, so Oliver, er, not Oliver Cadry. Sorry, Ethan Smith is saying, okay, we have these what he called civilized. Now we're using you know nineteenth century language here. Uh, we have the civilized nations. There's no way the 10 tribes are among them. That, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, but so maybe perhaps they're among indigenous nations. He, of course, uses the word savage, which, you know, we not super friendly, I, not a super I friendly think, term, but I, I think it's fair to say that people were pretty racist back then. I, yeah, I think, I think that's a fair term, and I, yeah. I don't think we need to hide it. But um, I, I don't think that I think "savage" is is very much a derogatory racist term that, right. that's used and with that intent. Yeah, yeah. So that's obviously what he's thinking. Like people, we we have to look at people who we cannot trace their history, who are not, uh, you know, as developed because they're more mysterious. There's not as much known about them. And so what he does then is he goes on for pages uh, listing all of these behaviors that Native Americans do, but also the Jewish people do 
and and he does it in a question format. He says, where could we find a people that circumcise their young, for example? Where could we find a people that worship one God? Where could we find a people that that offer sacrifice? And he just goes on and on and on. And then finally, he gets to a point. He even references the stick of Judah and the stick of Ephraim, which you know, longtime church members will will recognize um, of the, the 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 stick of Judah is the the Bible, the stick of Ephraim is the Book of Mormon coming together, you know, to testify of of Christ. Um, but he eventually comes to a part where he says, "But you inquire where or who are the people thus described." And again, this is after he's gone on for pages describing these people. They are the Aborigines of our own continent. Their place, their language, their traditions amount to all that has been hinted. These evidences are not all found among any one tribe of Indians, nor may all the Indians in any tribe where various of these evidences are found be able to exhibit them. So he, there's his claim. Right, that the ten tribes are among the Native Americans, and uh, and then he goes on to quote different anthropologists and things um, who believe the same thing. Would it be reasonable to think that because the Book of Mormon gets pretty into them losing their dare I call it civility due to sin, mm -hmm. they lost their. Um, their ability to be uh, to grow great civilizations and all all that all that tied into being savages um was there that indication in this book as well that these people had fallen away from god and that's that's why they became uncivilized or is that not found in the view of the hebrews that's a really good question and um i'm not entirely sure i know that he says at one point that there was intermingling uh of the 10 tribes and other native people not necessarily in north america but on their journey to north america and i think he he's implying there if i remember right he's implying that that's where the quote savagery comes from right that again that's a derogatory term but that's how the word he would have used so um but that's a good question. I may have to look into that a little bit more if if that's a parallel between a view of the Hebrews and uh, the Book of Mormon. Cool. Well, John, this is great. Um, I, I have some bad news. I found something online that might replace us. What? Yeah, it's that AI chat G GPT. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That dang AI chat. I, I can now go to that and ask it any question, and I no longer need to come to you for this. So I'm going to go <laughs> on to find out the parallels between these two books, and I no longer need your services. But this Perfect. is great, too. But if I just want to waste an hour listening, this is my first stop. <laughs> ah, waste an hour. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is this has actually been interesting. I appreciate you. Did was there more you wanted to cover in this, or is this covered all of it? Well, um, I think we've covered the important parts. But yeah, the there are uh, this. I think a view of the Hebrews 
is important because it talks about what Americans thought about the origins of Native Americans at that time. And it gives us a, an example or it gives us an idea of how acceptable the Book of Mormon would have been in terms of offering a narrative of where Native Americans came from. You know, I, and because there's 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 publications like this out there at the time, uh, I do think that it it would have been um, easily acceptable or at least easily understandable, if not acceptable to people who received would, the Book of Mormon. And this would be within at least religious circles, maybe not maybe not everybody, but within religious circles, they it would it would be they may have come across this this type of uh this type of i don't know what the term is um or origin story for for the native americans within their own religious journeys yeah yeah i think that's fair to say it would have been easier for uh religion for christians to accept the narrative of the book of mormon because they had most likely or at least they were open to the idea of native americans being uh among the lost 10 tribes of israel okay cool well thank you appreciate it yeah can you give us can you give us a little bit of a uh introduction to what we might be talking about next next week yes so sorry to keep putting it off but we'll finally get to the translation process um what it looked like i've put together a couple of different sources of people who were either there or heard secondhand what the translation process looked like, how it went down, and uh, and what was involved. Awesome! I look forward to it. All right. Yes. Well, thank you. We will. Uh, do we have any? Oh, five star review. Yeah, yeah. Please, uh, please leave your five star reviews. Which, which which one should we ask for? Let's ask for one this week. Do one thing for us this week, and that is. <laughs> uh subscribe on youtube can i throw yeah. that out there whether whether you're a podcast listener or or youtube listener please subscribe on youtube log in hit that subscribe button we won't uh we won't bug you with junk emails or anything like that i don't know how it works if you do get bugged let me know i i'll stop asking <laughs> people but but really what really is it's it's uh it's just a way for us to recognize listeners and followers so mm -hmm. this week Log on to YouTube, subscribe. Um, I am certain we have more listeners than we have subscribers, so that would be very helpful for us to kind of um, keep, keep yeah, tabs need, a little bit. We need to balance things out. Yeah. I did see yeah. our review status is 4.8 stars, so that's pretty good. Pe on, people who listen at least like it. Or, uh, no, on, I don't know if it's just Apple or if it's all podcasts. We'll say all podcasts. Yeah, so it's gotta be all pretty good. Who, yeah. Whoever got who, whoever didn't put that five star, keep listening. We'll 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 pull you up to a five uh, with time. You'll. Yeah, wait a minute. Someone didn't put five. Who has don't, the don't think too much into it? Don't was think it you, Tyler? It. it was you, wasn't it? You <laughs> you gave us a four star review. If if you had shown your face the whole time, I certainly would have <laughs> a higher rating. But yeah, I bet it was no. you. Maybe it was my mom. <laughs> I, I won't get into that. I won't get into that. 
yeah mr uh, Ford can have his own theories on what's going on there but, um <laughs> all right well thanks well thanks john i appreciate it yeah thanks subscribe Tyler. on youtube thank you everybody thank you